This is the Sermon Podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. The second lesson is from 2 Corinthians. Now, it is not necessary for me to write you about the ministry to the saints, for I know your eagerness, which is the subject of my boasting about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you may not prove to have been empty in this case, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated, to say nothing of you, in this undertaking. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you and arrange in advance for this bountiful gift that you have promised, so that it may be ready as a voluntary gift and not as an extortion. The point is this. The one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance, so that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good work. As it is written, he scatters abroad, he gives to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for life will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for your great generosity, which will produce thanksgiving, to God through us. For the rendering of this ministry not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also overflows with many thanksgivings to God. Through the testing of this ministry, you glorify God by your obedience to the confession of the gospel of Christ and by your generosity of your sharing with them and with all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God, That he has given you. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. Holy wisdom, holy word. Grace and peace be yours through Jesus. Amen. Yesterday afternoon, about four o'clock, I just hung it up. Just decided this sermon ain't going anywhere. I know we got it planned. I know what the theme is. I got all the pieces, but I, I just couldn't put it together. And I decided, you know, I'm just going to let it rip. I hope that doesn't become painfully obvious in the next 30 seconds. 1964, I was, I was 12 years old. That's, that's confirmation age, for the record. There was this group of four guys that had just hit the music charts from Liverpool, and pretty much everybody in my little town uh, thought that they were of the devil. And they were going to be on TV, 
They're going to be on TV on the Ed Sullivan Show on Sunday night. But thanks be to God, our parents said, that's Luther League night. <laughs> and you won't be watching that. When we got to the church, my dear old pastor, Olenay Peters, he'd carried his TV set into his office. And that night we read and talked about the Beatles and all their music, and then we watched them play live on Ed Sullivan. Wow. Those of you who know, I'm not a big music person. I'm scared to death to sing. Say you don't need no diamond ring, and I'll be satisfied. Tell me that you want those kind of things that money just can't buy. I don't care too much for money. Money can't buy me love. Can't buy me love. Money can't buy me love. Two-week series on generational generosity. We picked a theme in November. We picked it because of the need of this community to pass on the waves of faith from one generation to the other. Why generosity is so very, very important. It's a rock-solid theme. It's so very important regardless of how this sermon turns out. (laughs) Arts team took it more than a little bit deeper. Big hands, small hands, hearts, passing from one generation to the next. And then we heard the Deuteronomist in our first lesson say, today you choose, you choose between life and death. You choose and choose well. Choose life so that your descendants may live. So it begs the question, what is life that you're going to choose? Don't answer that too quickly. What do you want for yourself? What do you want for your kids? What do you want for your grandkids, your great-grandkids? What do you want for all the little children of the world? Choose life so that you and all of your descendants can live. To answer that, we're turning to Paul in a second reading today, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to hear the same lesson next week also because it's big. Hopefully, we'll unpack it a little better next week. Hopefully, you'll sit with it during the week, read it, talk about it with your family, with your small groups. Paul's talking to a church just like us, talking to people just like us, cosmopolitan people who've heard the good news of Christ and are trying to act it out in their daily life. They're trying to choose life. Life, says Paul, has something to do with generosity. God's extravagant radical, relentless generosity to us, and then in response to that, our generosity to God and and to our neighbors. Here's the truth. You can give your kids everything. Food, money, clothing, education, nest egg, trust fund. You can give them everything that money can buy, but money can't buy me love. It can't buy them love either. That's truth. And generosity is the practical application of that truth. And all that I want to do today is just plant this seed, plant this question with you. So what is it that you want to pass on? What is it that you want your children and your grandchildren and the neighbor kids to receive? Most of you know that I was in Haiti a week ago. Got in early last 
Sunday morning. Head's been spinning ever since. Those of you who have met with me during the week, uh, that's probably obvious. Had an amazing trip, and like so many things that are real, it's impossible to summarize or to explain. Number one question that people have asked me is, well, what did you do when you went to Haiti? And the answer is nothing. I didn't do a thing. I, I didn't build anything. I didn't read anything. I didn't take anything. I just went. I was just present. And I, and I met some amazing people. I received some amazing hospitality. And I see the world differently today than I did two weeks ago. And you know something about Haiti. I'm sure you do. And so let me get that part out of the way. Yep, I met some hungry people. I met some people who couldn't feed their children or themselves. I met a woman with twins who was struggling to have enough breast milk. I met some women who had fed their children leaves or mud because that's all they had. I met some people who were abandoned, who were broken, who were hurting, who were devalued by everyone. But I also met some incredibly generous people who were doing something about all of that, who were offering a helping hand, a bowl of food, education for themselves and for others, who made a commitment to their neighbors and to community. On the last day, I met 20 college students, six of whom Lord of Life Church will provide internships for this summer in some of the most struggling parts of Haiti. Some of those children had mothers who couldn't feed them. But through the generosity of a community and others, they got to school every day. They got socks and shoes and uniforms, and they responded to that privilege by studying hard, by getting an education, by applying for a scholarship, by receiving a scholarship, and now making a commitment that they won't leave Haiti after they get a scholarship. 85% of all graduates do. And I was blown away to give 15% of their income for the rest of their lives to help their neighbors. It was an amazing trip. And this is a story that I want to share. It's about generational generosity. There are a couple of people here. Uh, Carrie Cubberly is the chair of the board. Molly Ironman is the HR person. And Rick and Harriet Barger, they were on a trip with me. And they could tell this story probably better and certainly more accurately. I put some pictures on Facebook this morning if you want to get and see the pictures. We flew in on Saturday night. I uh, took a bus over a mountain from Port-au-Prince to a little town called Jacmel. We got there just as it was starting to turn dark. And, uh, and we were fed, and then we stayed in a dorm at a, at a school that was called Trinity House. It wasn't a, a live-in school, but they had to have this dorm. Uh, it's a boys' girls' day school. Um, next day, we discovered, I discovered, that, that, that next to the Trinity School is uh, a facility called the Wings of Hope. It's a, it's a residential home for children who are mentally or physically differently abled and who have been abandoned, uh, have no resources. All of this in a community and in a country devastated by natural disaster and corruption and poverty. Let me cover this part again quickly. Haiti is about 700 miles from Miami, which is quite a paradox because it's the most food and water scarce country in the Western Hemisphere. 
And it's obvious when you go there. They're missing infrastructures, public education, sanitation, water, something as simple as a traffic light they don't have. And we spent a whole day, that was the agenda, spend a day playing and singing with kids at Wings of Hope. And I'll be honest, I was pretty nervous about it. I was relieved to see that they had a basketball hoop. And every once in a while, we just started singing songs, their favorite song. Every little thing's going to be all right. We had worship together, gathered in a little small art room, and we shared communion. That's not the story. A couple of days later, we went back. It was the 32nd anniversary of a group that started Wings of Hope. And all I knew was that we were going to have another worship service. We were going to play with the kids, another communion service. And we got assigned parts that day. And I was to do communion. We got there, and this time there's an awning set up out in the courtyard. It's hot in Haiti, and when the sun is really hot, big blue tarp, lots of chairs. And the kids, the kids now know us, and they're excited to see us. We're excited to see them. We all had kids that we related to. And I noticed then, though, that there were some other people there that I hadn't met before, young men, well-dressed, sports shirts and trousers, handsome African young men. And then a couple more of them arrived, and it was like they knew each other. And, and a few more, and a few of them had girlfriends and wives, and there were a few people that came from the community, and people just kind of kept gathering. Whatever time we thought church was going to be, it was going to be when we got there. And everyone's glad to see each other, and what was very clear to me was that these handsome young men, they, they knew these kids, all of these kids, by name, and all of these kids knew them. And the worship began with singing, Pastor Rick playing the guitar rough, roughly. Um, <laughs> there was a painting in the center of the, of the thing, and, and uh, it was a picture of a Haitian woman putting laundry and the wind blowing through that, and uh, this mixture of people, and we were told, everybody share what that picture means to you. And everybody did, including young kids who could not speak and who could only make sounds. And every time somebody shared, everybody encouraged them and thanked them. And then we prayed, we all prayed, even kids who couldn't put words together prayed out loud. And there was a sermon about never giving up and how God never, ever gives up on us. And this whole time, and those of you who know how I'm wired, you you, you can imagine this, this whole time with all this great stuff going on, I am wondering, hey, how are we gonna do this communion? I don't see any bread. I don't see any wine. All I see is this picture. How's this going to work? And then, one of the young men that I had not met, Bill, sat down at a drum and started playing the drum. And the kids got real excited. And then, two of the youngest men, boys really at that point, I'd seen them early but I hadn't met them, they carried in a coffee table and not carried it like we would, but carried it to the drum. And the kids are starting to get excited. And then the other young man grabs a tablecloth and he carries it in like a bullfighter. And one of the kids at Wings, named Steve, got more energy than anybody I've ever met. Steve has a hard time sitting still, but he'd held it together for 
most of that service. But suddenly when that, when that tablecloth came in, Steve jumped up and started dancing. And people started clapping, smiling. And then another young man carried in some flowers in a vase, spinning. And then Emmanuel, I'd known his name because he was there the day before. He was there wiping kids' faces and changing their diapers, helping them get their shoes on. Emmanuel came in with a big loaf of bread, raisin bread, and wine, not wine, cranberry juice, and a hand-carved wooden chalice, and the kids couldn't contain themselves. And then I got to say the words. I got to say the words of our Lord Jesus, that on the night when his friends left him and when religious people condemned him and when the authorities apprehended him, he gathered with a group of his dearest friends and he took bread and he broke it and he took wine and he shared it with them, shared it. And he told us, do this, do this in remembrance of me. Could have stopped there right then. I could have gone straight to heaven. When the meal was done, these same young men came forward at what would be like our announcement time, and they announced to the community that we're going to have a celebration. And one of the young men got up with a guitar and sang a love song to the group. And then another group of young men, a drum group, brought all their drums and started playing all of them together. And they had brought an African dance group, and they started dancing Everyone was moving. The worship lasted almost three hours. And one of the young men then said, we're having lunch. I won't let that sit there for a minute because at Wings of Hope, sometimes you just have breakfast and dinner and you don't always have lunch. We're having lunch. And the kids cheered and suddenly everyone had a styrofoam lunch in their hand. Say that again. Everyone had a styrofoam lunch in their hand with chicken and beans and rice and vegetables and slaw. And get this, you got to pick out what kind of soda you wanted. Wow. And that's still not the story I want to tell you. A couple days later, you know how I can go through things and never figure it out. A couple days later, I heard what Paul Harvey used to call the rest of the story. St. Joseph family in Port-au-Prince was an orphanage that was started by one man, one priest for street boys. Uh, street boys doesn't do it justice. An orphanage doesn't do it justice. Boys who had been Restavex. Restavex is a child slave. Someone who sleeps in someone's backyard on a piece of cardboard beaten and whipped and serves the family until eventually they run away or get ill and die. And they're living on the street and they're welcomed into a home, into a family run by one priest in the model of St. Teresa except with art and with icons. 
They live together, work together, eat together, worship each morning, each night, and we're told every single day and told each other, God loves you unconditionally. You are God's beloved child. In 1994, it was a bad time in Haitian history and a shameful time in U.S. history. A small home for differently abled children was forced to close. Uh, The women who ran it fled for their lives from Haiti. They reached out to several agencies in Port-au-Prince and said, could any of you take one of these children? And the boys the St. Joseph family boys, and that's what they were. They, they were 15 or less. Not the priests, the boys. The, the boys had to argue with the priest from St. Joseph. They were the only ones to respond. They didn't have room for them. They didn't have money. They didn't have a plan. What they had was the way, the truth, and the life. If God loves us so generously, they reasoned with Father Michael, aren't we called to love others generously also? And they took all the children. When the earthquake destroyed their home, forcing them to live in a multi-level facility with kids in wheelchairs and no elevators, they connected with the Haitian Timon Foundation to build the Wings of Hope facility more than an hour away in Jacmel. And those boys, uh, now amazing young men, they were there to lead the worship that day. They run Wings of Hope. They run the Timothy School. They run the St. Joseph family. And when I showed up at St. Joseph, they met me with a glass of cold water and a big hug. And I don't know that I have ever felt more full and proud of the church. And I don't think I'll ever be the same. Um, I do know what I want for my kids. And I know what I want for my grandkids. And I know what I want for your kids. And I know what I want for the children of the world. I want the way, the truth, and the life. And I know that generosity is at the heart of that. And whatever we need to do to pass that on, we need to get on it. Amen.